Hey guys, it's James Chester here. You're listening to the Gather Round the Lamp podcast by underagaslitlamp.com. Gather Round the Lamp, an Aston Villa podcast. Hello and welcome back to Gather Around the Lamp, an Aston Villa podcast brought to you by underagaslitlamp.com. This is our season review podcast and we're going to have a little look back and analyse the main points of the season and look ahead to what could be quite an interesting summer. We will talk through some of uh, our Villa Lamp Awards as well, which which we've been publishing on on our social media sites over the last week or so, um, and uh, and look back at the talking points and, and memorable moments of our second season back in the Premier League. As ever, I'm Andy, and today I'm joined by Craig and Mark. Hey Andy, hey Mark, hey listeners, great to be back to uh, wrap up and um, talk about a fantastic season. I'm at Craig Storrod on Twitter. Um, it's been a wonderful time um, being with you guys, so grateful for um, for the opportunity and, and, and for everyone who supports the show. And we have lots of amazing content coming up. So uh, yeah, let's, let's let the good times roll. What's going on, everybody? I'm Mark Jerby. You can find me over on Twitter at VillaMarkPGH. Again, massive, massive pleasure to talk to you guys, especially this season. Had a lot of ups, had a lot of downs, but also had a lot of stuff to look forward to. So let's let's crack into it. Yeah, definitely. And um, we're just going to start just by acknowledging uh, the news that's sort of broken in the last hour or so. As we're recording this on, on Tuesday, we just heard the England squad announcement for the Euros, um, which starts this month. Um Two Villa players, Jack Grealish and Tyrone Mings, have made the cut um, and been named in the 26. And very, very sadly and wrong in my opinion, Ollie Watkins has missed out. Um, but guys, first of all, Craig, what, what, what are your thoughts on, on this breaking news? I'm really disappointed, actually, for, for Ollie. I I didn't think he would make the cut. I thought it would be Mason Greenwood, um, just because I think Mason Greenwood's a, a better finisher than Ollie. I think that's probably fair to say. So I thought he would get the nod. Uh, but when the news w- came out this morning or earlier today that uh, Greenwood was injured, you know, I thought for sure, and I think we um, we we were talking about in the group chat that Ollie Watkins would be in. Um, so to see him uh, discarded at this point. And Southgate pick three right backs is is very difficult to swallow. I think that Southgate's bottled it. I think there's been a lot of negative attention uh, from the press on the fact that he might not take Trent. And rather than make the bold call um, that a manager is need, needs to make, top managers make, he has bottled it and included an extra right back that I don't think is necessary. I mean... Um, this is just typical of England. Um, it's more of the same. We've seen managers over the years trying to shoehorn, you know, place Paul Scholes on the wing and ridiculous things like that. Um, and it's just, it's just a shame. And I think it's it sends the wrong message actually for England. And I think it sends the wrong message to the fans and to the to the other players as well because I think this is this is this is poor squad management. Not all of these people can play. So immediately now you've got four starters or four players who think they should start in Trippier, Alexander-Arnold, uh, Carl Walker and um, Rhys James. 
and uh, they can't all start. So immediately, I think he's created a, a, some 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 problems. And Ollie Watkins has fallen foul of that. I think um, he's had a good enough season to be included, especially considering the other players that haven't been. And um, I feel bad for him. Yeah, I feel bad for him too. And this is me like not being in the England camp whatsoever, obviously, but like just seeing uh, who who Southgate actually picked. And for me, what is it? It's just only two out and out strikers. You know what I mean? In the, in the entire squad. And, and then Ollie Watkins brings something totally different. And it's not just like with the Villa cap on. It's just like looking at the metrics, looking at his, you know, successful presses, me watching all the Villa games and being able to see what he actually does, you know, against the defense. I just think he just offers something that's just a little bit different. I think it's hard done on him. But I do think Ollie has the kind of personality and the kind of drive that this is only going to kick him going forward. Now the omissions to the squad, they were told, hey, you can go back home, you know, do your thing, or you can stick with us for these two friendlies that are coming up. Um, I believe three players, including Watkins, decided they were going to stick around. So again, that's just his work ethic. He wants to be around the camp, wants to get as much experience as he can at that level. Um, but yeah, I scratch my head about the, the right-back situation, scratch my head about all of a sudden people think that Trent Alexander-Arnold in a pinch can be put in the center mid when I've never personally seen him play there. I could be wrong. Um, so yeah, it's just it's just really kind of kind of strange for me, and I don't know if it's a Southgate thing or I mean, you guys would know better than me. Is just is this just kind of the way England does things from time to time? Yeah, I think it, I think it is really. We've got a long history of um, managers seeming to be unable to to leave certain players out of their squads um, and sort of discarding players that perhaps deserve their opportunity. What I would say though is that. Um, it's been a, a, a brilliant um, experience for Watkins to be involved in the last two England squads, really, the, the one in March and this one. Um, and he can kind of go away on holiday once he knows he's definitely not needed because the, the squad can change up until, I think, the day before the first game. Um, and then he can he can go on holiday and really recharge the batteries. He's had a real sort of hell of a long season playing all those games for Villa and come back ready to lead the line in August for, for Villa. Um, so it swings and roundabouts from a Villa perspective, but it's always massively um, disappointing when a, when a player who you think should be um, given that opportunity isn't, and it's it's not really clear why, I suppose. Um, but, you know, we... we we, we we will definitely be talking more about um, Ollie Watkins today in this podcast, and we will be outlining how we feel about him because um, I think us and most Villa fans have uh, have really taken to him this season. Um, and first of all, I suppose we'll 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 go back to the the summer transfer window, um, which was a really strange one. The season ended obviously very late in 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 July, um, and we were kind of almost into the next season before we could before we could um catch our breath. Um Villa had a new sporting director as uh, Johan Langer came in to replace Suso um joining from FC Copenhagen. Um Dean Smith and, and Langer obviously knew um that after the, the, the tightest of relegation escapes the season before that they had to raise the overall quality of the first team and while certain players would undoubtedly improve um, in the second season. Reinforcements had to be brought in. They were badly needed. And in came a, a raft of players. Matty Cash from Forest, Emmy Martinez, the goalkeeper, joined from Arsenal. 
Um, Ollie Watkins, as we've mentioned, came in. Bertrand Traore and, and of course, Ross Barkley on loan from Chelsea. Um, it's fair to say that all of these players have had an impact in their own way at different stages of the season. Um, going back to those awards, we gave Emmy Martinez um, our award for the signing of the season. Um, but how do you assess the the summer's the summer business from last year a year on? Um, I don't think you can say anything other than it's been an, an a, almost an, a complete success, which is really rare for any kind of club's transfer business, and particularly rare for Aston Villa transfer business for any fans of the club. Uh, we've had some horror shows uh, in transfer windows um, in the not-too-distant uh, past. So um, starting with the, the right-back, Matty Cash, I think, was the, the right-back we didn't know we needed until we did. Um, you know, raised some eyebrows. You know, I wasn't against the signing, but I I've held my hands up and said I wasn't sure right-back was a position we needed to strengthen. It turns out it, we did, and Cash brought a whole new dimension to the team, uh, adapted really well from the championship. I think he had, um, since his hamstring injury, hasn't been quite the same, but hopefully he can get that sorted out now over the close season and come back um, even better than last year. Martinez, uh, we're going to speak about Martinez later on, but he's been nothing short of revolutionary in goal. Uh, Ollie Watkins, who we've just mentioned, um, just narrowly missing out, unfortunately, on the England squad in favour of Southgate's four right backs. And, um, you know, this is Ollie Watkins, for context, is the only English player to score 14 Premier League goals. And he sits alongside uh, Julian Jochim uh, for that accolade in Premier League history. And bearing in mind, Julian Jochim was playing in a Villa team that were top of the league for half the season. He wasn't playing for this mid-table outfit, which makes Watkins' achievements even more remarkable. Traore, we've spoken about seven Premier League goals and lots of wizardry and some frustration as well. Um, Traore probably shouldn't be allowed to play against Luke Shaw or Ben Chilwell ever again, but other than that, he, he's done us proud. And Barkley is the, the fifth. Barkley was immense until injury, COVID or whatever. There's some... Uh, rumours and suggestions that maybe other things are going on with Ross, but it's probably not fair to speculate here. I think probably on balance for the money spent in wages and, and the alleged 11 million payment to to um, Chelsea, which which may not be accurate, you know, he's he's been a dud. So I think four out of five isn't bad. And um, considering Ross has already gone and isn't that a problem anymore, I mean, he's not going to be hanging around for years on end collecting wages like a, like a bad smell, like we had with the likes of Hogan and uh, Ross McCormack, Henry Lansbury and Zogby. I mean, I'll stop there. The list goes on and on. We seem to collect players on high wages who sit in the reserve. So the great thing about Ross is it's temporary and now he's, he's out the way. He's Chelsea's problem. Yeah, as far, as far as the recruitment, I, I was completely happy with it. And I don't think it's too much of a controversial thing to say, at least for me. I, I thought the recruitment process and who they brought through the doors may be one of the best I've seen for my time supporting at Villa. Um, and no one could have foreseen like how these players would have going to fit in. But they do their research, you know, personality wise and, and, you know, accolades and, you know, their statistics and all that kind of stuff. But I'm, I'm with Craig, man. I remember being on board with pretty much every one of these signings. Um, Barkley was a big question mark for me because I knew that he had like hamstrings that just weren't probably not the best you've ever seen and for me and this might surprise a few people it was maddie cash i mean craig said it too like he, he served me up with a polar bear slice of humble pie and i was i wasn't <laughs> a, i wasn't upset about the signing i just wondered if he was going to be able to keep up in the premier league um especially so soon after changing his playing position so i was just curious how was that that was going to work out i wasn't like upset with it i was like oh he's going to come in and be terrible nothing like that but um, I, as of today i think every player showed what they can do and perhaps more than others but there's an identifiable talent level that's come from 
the summer transfer window. And even more than that, there's an identifiable personality level as well. Um, and again, it's just my opinion, but okay, with the exception of Barkley, because you never you never saw like other signings get too high or too low or agitated, start throwing water bottles, things like that. They always seemed eager to succeed. And, and most of these players are now heralded as fan favorites, and I think they're going to continue to impress in the future. Um, I do think the recruitment's going to continue into this current summer, but what we've added right now, I do believe there's at least two or three players from this that are like actual cogs of the Aston Villa machine going forward. I don't see them being replaced quickly. I think they're you know they're willing to invest. I think they want to get the best out of they can of these players as they start to grow. I'm just happy most of them. I mean, you know, obviously Barkley took a hike and you know thank the Lord, but these players are going to grow and the club's going to want investment back on them. I, th- I think it was a really really solid transfer window going into this current season. Yeah, it definitely was, and I mean it seems like a long time ago now, but the the new signings were quickly into action and started the season in blistering fashion as as Villa won their first four matches, only conceding twice. Um, And of course, amongst that clutch of wins um, was an astonishing 7-2 victory at home to reigning champions Liverpool, which sent sent a thunderbolt really through the Premier League. Um, We we voted this on the podcast as our moment of the season. Um, And it also, there's another award for this game because we've given Ollie Watkins' hat-trick in this match um, our performance of the season. So I mean, re- really, we should revisit this, and we should um, we should praise this this uh, this particular uh, match because it was it was astonishing. Um, really, we we have seen Villa dismantle teams in the past. I remember us beating Wimbledon seven one. I remember us beating Sunderland six one, um, and and another. I'm sure there are other games that I've missed, but to witness um, a Villa side destroy the champions was something. You know, truly memorable, um, and we'll be talking about it. I'm sure for for years. What are your memories of this crazy night? Uh, it was absolutely surreal at the time. It's really difficult to quantify the size of the victory, and I feel like it's been diminished a little bit because Liverpool kind of fell apart after the the, the injuries that they suffered, understandably so in some respects because they lost their whole you know starting defence for most of the season. But at the time Villa played Liverpool, I just want to remind all the listeners that this was not the Liverpool we've seen for the rest of the season. This was the champions. This was Virgil van Dijk. It was Joe Gomez. It was Trent. It was Robertson. I mean, just a few days and weeks prior, people were talking about Liverpool walking the league again and and, and building a a new Liverpool dynasty to match the 80s. Um, You know, this is what people were talking about. So... I think that's been diminished a little bit and forgotten just how good this team was. This was a full-strength Liverpool side, more or less. This was not the, the ravaged side we've seen. And for Aston Villa to tear them apart like that, um, it was just incredible. I kept thinking Liverpool were going to come back into it. Probably until goal five, I could sit back and enjoy it because you're worried. Salah got a couple of goals. They're coming back into it. And Ollie Watkins, um, I thought to myself, who the hell is this guy? I mean, he's he's that uh, the 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 headers fair enough, but the uh, the the goal where he's done Gomez, he's turned inside, just hit in the top, hit it in the top corner. It was like poetry in motion. Um, I realized, I think, at, at this point that this Aston Villa team were going to be okay this year, and we had moved on. And we'd moved on really rapidly from the relegation struggles. It was just incredible. And I think that P- 
people should never forget that. This wasn't a ragtag Liverpool with, with two 18-year-olds playing at centre-half. This was this was Virgil van Dijk. This was Joe Gomez. This was Liverpool. And we absolutely smashed them. I mean, yeah, for me, I'm just, I, I can remember that day because my, a lot of my friends over here that I watch football with and that I've talked to, or even some of the ones in more recent years because they don't know what a glory hunter is, for, you know, seriously, but they do support Liverpool. So it was one of those things where, like, I got up and people were, you know, oh, what do you think the score is going to be? Oh, well, you know, you guys are great. We're still trying to find our feet a little bit. You know, I, I don't think it's going to be a great day for Villa, but I do remember watching the game completely by myself, and that wasn't the most fun. I bet a lot of people can say that for what was going on in the world at around that time. But um, I remember just going bonkers, like, all by my lonesome in the living room. I mean, it was just, like, beer and laughs all over the place. Kept my phone in my hand, kept texting all these Liverpool fans that I knew. Like, you know, I don't know what's happening either. Um, you know, I hope that, I hope that, I hope the tears aren't, go, you know, strolling down your face, like all that kind of stuff. I remember on Twitter, like I, I posted that there's that famous gif of Jurgen Klopp um, from the parade uh, the previous season at the end of it where he's counting with his fingers the six. And when we scored the sixth goal, I put it up was like, oh, how many goals for Villa today, Jurgen? And it's probably one, probably one of the funnier tweets I've had this season. But <laughs> on the performance, I, I think the word's gobsmacked. I think that's that's the word I, I, I'm trying to find here is, is like I was just absolutely gobsmacked I couldn't believe what I was seeing and that's no disrespect to Villa at all but we we knew how infinite Liverpool seemed at that time period you know they were a healthy favorite again for this game definitely deserved to be but I'll always remember that Ollie Watkins hat trick even though I wasn't surrounded by Villa fans or on the terraces or anything like that it was just that feeling that like only sports can give you where the unthinkable starts to happen every now and then and again, the underdog decides they're not going to lay down. So as the match was going on, I just kept getting message after message after message from folks all over the globe asking, like, what's going on at Villa? Who's Ollie Watkins? Did you guys spike their water bottles before the game? Are they still hungover? <laughs> I had all these, like, amazing messages, and it was it really gave me this weird, not even a weird sense of pride, just, just a, a definitive sense of pride that people from very different places and very different football knowledge, you know, you know, high football knowledge, low football knowledge, they sat up and started to take note about what's going on at Aston Villa. And that just filled me with pride. Just like Craig said, it, it made me feel, and it really made me believe that we were going to be okay. Um, and I, like, there hasn't been many, many wins like that. There, I haven't been around for, for that long to where these victories were actually like something that I'm probably going to remember for the rest of my life, even though it was, it was just an ordinary day watching the, the television, you know, but still it means that much to me that I'll, always remember that feeling and I, I love just being able to have little give little digs to my, my friends that, that have been glory hunting for the past three or four years now yeah I mean it's it's beautifully summed up guys there and um I think there were two things that that, that were kind of going through my mind um as I was watching this game I mean first of all it was it was astonishing obviously and secondly you're sort of thinking would this be happening if there was a full house if the if the fans were there would this would this be unfolding in this way and I think that's put a caveat on a lot of the things that have happened this season. Um and and of course, you know, there's the 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 other argument as well of people say well certain teams weren't ready for the season and weren't prepared and but I mean that's just um you know, we can't we can't account for another club's lack of preparedness when uh, when it comes to these things. Villa hit the ground running this season, and and um, and we're absolutely superb. And you can maybe put a you know a three one or a four one down to um, those kind of caveats, but a seven two win, you can't you can't say it's anything other than a, than an absolute shoe in. And um, we 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 certainly. We certainly gave them that, and of course, 
you know, when we're talking about Ollie Watkins, he got his hat-trick in the first half. He could have had another two or three goals in the second half, you know, and it's well well documented that he was he walked off the pitch quite disappointed with himself after that performance because he just he just tore Gomez and, and Van Dijk to shreds that night and him him alongside um obviously Grealish and, and Barkley who again was sensational on his on his debut and um just a just an incredible it's one of those games that you, you I still can't believe it actually it actually happened and I'm sure you know Liverpool now they have kind of secured the Champions League and finished in third place. They'll be all too keen to to brush that one under the carpet and put it down to some sort of um, uh, freak of um, them not being quite quite the races. But you know, it's it's an astonishing uh, victory, and yeah, I can't. It's hard I, to say any more about it. It's it. unbelievable, yeah. isn't it? It's it's I I I like to think of it as a as a as a sneak peek into the future. Um, we've talked a lot about Barkley on this podcast, and, and rightly so, because um, one of the reasons we were all so upset with Barkley, well, I won't speak for you guys, I'll speak for myself, was because of the, the, the performances that he displayed in the beginning. You know, we saw what is possible when him and Grealish were just playing one-twos, you know, um, for Barkley's goal there. And and just the movement. And when Barkley was bursting through and, and Van Dyke, I think, took him out, kicked him in the air. Trezeguet was on fire. Watkins, McGinn, Grealish, obviously, they were all absolute stars. And we saw just how, what a difference a couple of players made to that relegation-threatened team. Because those were all the same, apart from Barkley and then Watkins. Those two lifted the level. So I like to think of this as a window. Uh, speaking of window, I, I didn't use that word deliberately, but as it's the transfer window, if we were able to get two more like that, like a Buendia, like a, 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 a Tammy Abraham, like a Elise, like a whoever it is, Coutinho, <clears throat> whoever it is, whoever it is, Aston Villa can beat anyone smith has said this this year dean smith said that our first 11 is a match for anyone and it is as we've seen this season and the squad is not a match for anyone the squad is a probably top championship squad in, in many cases or lower you know premier league squad when if we can improve and get those few players that we need oh my goodness it could be exciting next year could be I mean, that's that's where I'm at. I mean, it, it, Craig's right there. Like, I, I think about it sometimes. I'm like, did that really happen? And, and like, I was talking about what I was doing on the day. Like, I I had way too many beers after this game, and I probably woke up about like six thirty, seven o'clock, and I just woke up, and I'm not like already hungover, you know. And I wake up, and I'm just like, it wasn't a dream. And I'm like rolling through Twitter, and I'm seeing all the memes that came out of it, and all this like, uh, Virgil Van Dyke got exposed by a kid that used to play for Brentford, and like all these things. And I'm just like. Man, I freaking love Aston Villa. This is so great. <laughs> I, I don't know about everyone else. I've watched that game four or five times. Not the highlights. Not <laughs> yeah, the, the, game. the game. Yeah, I have okay. it. I have it saved on my. It's literally on my desktop Pre-match, right now. Pre-match, yep. post-match, everything. <laughs> it was the bit where um, I don't know if you had the Sky commentary over there, but we had Jamie Carragher. No, commentate actually co-commentating on this game over here for Sky and. Um, I think he was just laughing at one point. He was just, you know, because <laughs> obviously inside he would have been absolutely seething. Um, but he was, he was, he was laughing, and I thought that was beautiful. And then obviously we had Graham Souness on the panel, um, and he was, you know, he looked like he was chewing a wasp as well. So 
Didn't he blame the grass or something? Yeah, the grass was too long. That's what it was. Yeah, he got into the groundsman for no reason. I don't know why. He's <laughs> such a such a was, wonderful man that Graham Sooners. <laughs> it was probably Paul Pogba's fault somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, just just an astonishing um, performance, and then of course we we followed it up with a with a win um, away at Leicester, which was um, you know another another great win. Um, but then. Things took a slight downturn um, as we as we moved moved ahead into the next month, and um, we only then won one more match of the next five. Albeit it was a, an absolutely stunning three nil away away victory at the Emirates uh, against Arsenal, um, and this was perhaps an example of the inconsistencies which would maybe cause Villa's downfall ultimately this season. Um, despite the results, though. There were still signs of an evolving team and, and certainly one which had improved from the previous season. And it wouldn't be long before um, the team's fortunes turned again. And of course, enter our our very own favourite, Mr. Anwell El Ghazi, who, who led the charge with five goals in December as Villa went unbeaten in those five games. Um, the Dutch wide man... Would probably have taken the award if we'd have had one for surprise of the season, as he was seemingly um, cast asunder by by Dean Smith at the start of the season, and that, that with the fact that um, he also plays in the same position as most o- often occupied by uh, Jack Grealish there on the left hand side, um, makes his achievement of ten goals all the more remarkable. He is undoubtedly an example of how hard work and taking your opportunities can pay off. And that's what it is. You just got to take your opportunity sometimes. And I, I, I feel the season for Algazi was something other players at Villa can really look at and take inspiration from. Um, we know Algazi is unlikely to start a lot of games, especially if Jack's going to continue to play on that left. But he has more often than not taken the time afforded on the pitch. He found ways to make a positive for the team as a whole. He, he is, he can be a very individual player, but sometimes it does seem like he, he wants to bring people in. He knows he loves it. He loves to, you know, have shots from all over the place, but there are some games that I've noticed to where he does want to bring his teammates in. It's almost like he knows the fact when he's not having a great day at the office. Um, it's like his work rate and just how, how much he cares when he's on the pitch for Villa. It, it, there's just something different about it. It's like work for the every, everyday normal blue collar folks. You don't want to work in the trenches with someone who isn't giving it their all or someone who's slacking off just for the sake of it. And we all know wingers have dips in forms all the time. And we, we've talked about it on a few occasions the past couple of weeks and especially over the last month. But for El Ghazi, the scoring tally can't be dismissed easily. I, I definitely think that it's like surprising, but more so in the sense that he felt he had a responsibility to step up when called upon. And again, the, the good personalities breed success. And I think that's what we have with Anwar. I think that's what we have with a lot of the players that are in this squad right now. But I mean, Craig, this, this is like our favorite son. We love Anwar more than we love m- most people we've ever met. So, I mean, I, I'm, I'm curious to hear your thoughts on how his season went. Well, I think we might need to consider renaming the podcast Gather Round El Ghazi at this point, <laughs> um, because he has his own little, we, maybe we just have an El Ghazi interlude every, every week because we can't stop talking about him. And the reason we can't stop talking about him is because, as as you correctly say, Mark, this guy has gone from nowhere. I, he, wasn't, he wasn't even on the bench, you know, he was sitting in the stands for that Liverpool game, for example, that we just spoke about. He was not part of the plans, you know. He got a chance due to Ross Barkley's uh, uh, untimely injury against Brighton, uh, and he came in flying. I think he was unlucky not to win Player of the Month in in December. And one thing I was disappointed at uh, about is actually Al Ghazi was dropped. I think um, 
as soon as Ross Barkley was yeah. back when he was yeah, flying. He was, yeah. And then obviously he took a while then to restart. If, if, if Smith had kept faith in Anwar, who knows what kind of numbers he could, he could have posted because he had another spell out the team after he did nothing to deserve to be dropped. I can understand why Ross Barkley is, is Ross Barkley at his best versus Anwar at his best. Ross Barkley is a better player for me, but disappointed for Anwar that he's missed out on the Euros. Um, but, you know, for me, as I said last week on the pod, Anwar is a starter. He is our starting left winger next season. Um, until someone comes and takes his place. And maybe if Jack is moving to number 10 for us permanently, and if Buendia, as rumoured, is coming in, maybe there is a spot on that left-hand side for Al Ghazi. And maybe Al Ghazi en- ends up maybe competing with Ta- uh, Watkins if, if a central striker comes in. Who knows what's going to happen? But for me, um, Al Ghazi is the man in possession of the shirt, and someone's going to have to come in and, and post some incredible numbers to to take it off him because 10 Premier League goals from Aston Villa wingers just doesn't happen. It, you know, it happened once in the championship with um, Uncle Albert, but again, that's championship. You know, it's not the same thing. So good for Anwar. Disappointed that he's going to miss out on the Euros, but um, hopefully this can... Um, this can build him up now. I, I've said all along, Anwar's going to have a season some, somehow, some way where he gets 15, 20 goals. And I haven't just made that up. If you go back and listen to the archives, <laughs> I've said that before. He's, he will do it. At some point, he's going to do it. And, and maybe it could be next year with us. But congratulations to Anwar. Nothing but love, uh, character, grit. And again, Mark's right. Just the kind of personality you want in your club. You know, he, he, didn't, he didn't sulk. He, he put his big boy pants on and he went out there and he, he made match-winning contributions. Uh, 16 points, actually. 16 points um, Anwar is responsible for for Aston Villa this year. And you can't do much better than that. That's absolutely superb for a, for a player that, as we've said, has had spells out the side and, and, and looked looked well out of it, really. Um, you know, there were... I mean, no one would have... Um, if 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 we'd have sold El Ghazi and brought in Rashitza in the summer, no one would have batted an eyelid. Um, but I wonder if Rashitza would have scored ten goals this season. You know, it's um, it's it's just sometimes the the answer is there in the in your squad, and I think as well. You know, I'm not going to add too much to the El Ghazi because I think you you two have um have have covered it really well. But um, you know, look looking at other sort of fringe players, you look at Nakamba. Particularly, um, Courtney Howes is another one who, when they come in, um, when they have come in on those occasions, they've been absolutely superb um, and haven't let the side down at all and have looked like they could stay in the side um, even. So um, the squad is definitely improving. And we, we've, whereas last season, if you went past the first 11, you were really struggling. I, th- I feel that we had. 13 14 players this season that we could really rely on and that's that's a definite improvement I think I don't know what you think guys yeah I I, I agree with that I mean it's and that that's what it is and like it harks back to like me and Craig talking about like the good personalities like people I think people see especially in the case of like Courtney Horse I think a lot of people see like the kind of person he is on social media and they think they automatically draw these conclusions of what he's going to do on a football pitch because that's the world we live in you only see someone's social media you think that's what they're all about you think you know you think you actually know the person but then like especially towards the end of the season you know horse came in and he he looked great he didn't look out of place at all um but i i just i just think that there's there's certain personalities in this side that deserve the respect of the fan base i think they do get that respect to a certain point but 
I, I, I don't know. I like Al Ghazi's like up there for me is like one of those people. And we do have a few of them again, you know, we'll talk about Mings in a little bit here, but with Al Ghazi, I just think that for everything he's went through the, uh, the abuse that he got that, that chased him on social media and then the, the squad coming back around him to, you know, make sure everything was all right. Again, it's just Aston Villa is a really, really awesome place to, to play right now and it doesn't it, you don't have to even do like a lot of research you can just tell um it's not even just the results on the pitch it just seems like we have a lot of really good characters and for me sometimes that's that's exactly what i want to see i, I want to know that we have good people in the club not only just good players at the club and not only is he is he a good guy obviously he's he's religious he he observes ramadan and all that all that good stuff he's part of the fabric of aston villa's recent history this is a guy who was brought in on a whim on loan um, by Steve Bruce, who I think Mendes parked a couple of players at Villa um, at that season, which was um, the goalkeeper Morera, who the less said about him, the better, and El Ghazi. I don't think he was necessarily a Steve Bruce signing. I don't think Steve Bruce necessarily liked him or knew how to use him. Well, he didn't use him. And Dean Smith came in and really put El Ghazi into the team and he became a key component. I mean, we had Jack, we had John McGinn, we had um, obviously uh, Whelan and, and Harahan were, were rotating. Uh, and then also Adoma and Andre Green were rotating, rotating on the right. And neither of them could really lay a marker down. Obviously, Tammy was up front. But El Ghazi was a key part of the fabric of that promotion team. He posted, I think, four Premier League goals last season and a bunch of assists as well. And 10 goals this season. So this is a player now who is woven into our recent fabric. And he's almost... He's almost spoken about probably everywhere except this podcast where we don't stop talking about him. He's almost cast as an outsider, don't you think? I think so. But he's not an outsider. Like, he is key. He's key in everything we've done in the last few years. Yeah, I'd I'd agree with that. I think, I think. He he is one of those where people say, "Well, we need a, we need." If if you said to people, "Who do we need to replace?" He'd be on the list, wouldn't he? He'd be on the list of players that we need to replace. And I don't know why that is. I think. you know, you wouldn't say that about, uh, you know, if, if obviously if John McGinn had scored 10 goals, you wouldn't say, oh, we need to replace him. And I just think certain players just don't, maybe don't um, grab the the um, the fan base as 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 well as others. I don't, I, I, you know, it's I'm not I'm not entirely sure, or whether it's, you know, I'm not entirely sure. We talked about it and compared him a little bit to Hurahan as well, didn't we? And and that that kind of player that that seems to do do lots and lots of great things but but never really gets the full respect of of the fans but you know the, I I agree I think I think he's definitely um at the moment he's he's the he's the starting number 11 and um you know his his shirt is 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 there to be taken obviously like anyone in the team but you know at the moment if the season started tomorrow he starts and and that's 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 kind of the the end of it really i guess um but we, you know we have certainly got um you know a greater strength in depth and and players who and i suppose it's worth it's worth as well sort of you know extending this out to dean smith and saying what a what a magnificent job him and the coaches have done in 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 bringing some of those players who were essentially championship players or or new signings that we didn't know about um, up to the up to the level in the Premier League, so they you know they can come into the side and rotate through the team and 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 um, and do a job. And um, certainly, certain players have gone over and above that, and El Ghazi would be one of those, in my opinion. Um, 
But moving on, moving on to January and the first of our two major disasters from the season struck um, as a large proportion of the first team were reported to have contracted COVID-19, meaning the club had to essentially shut down for two weeks. The training ground and everywhere was was closed. Um, games were cancelled and astonishingly, the under-18 team, which were missing a few players still, um, were drafted in to compete um, in the FA Cup third round tie against Liverpool at home. Uh, this game produced another one of the, the season's greatest moments, one of one of the, the happiest moments of, of my season, um, as young talent Louis Barry scored an excellent goal to draw a level at half one uh, one at half time. The young guns would go on to to lose four one in a gutsy display, but would later uh, go on to win the FA Youth Cup um, once they got all their players um, back. Um, once again, beating Liverpool in the final, uh, Carney Chukwemeka, um, who would also uh, go on to make a couple of first team appearances at the end of the season, has won our Young Player of the Year um, in in a season where the promise of a, a much improved academy setup has started to show some shoots. Oh yeah, I think a lot of people are starting to starting to take notice, and I would actually say that I I don't think I've seen. Villa fan base, just my little like you know reaches I have around the world. I don't think I've seen people sit up and pay this much attention to the youth setup or some youngsters that came in or starting to even talk about um, some of the youngsters we're bringing in from other clubs, like how our recruiting is actually going. Um, as far as the Liverpool game and the FA Cup, it, this is really curious, but like I don't often remember the scoreline when I think about this game. I can only really remember that feeling of seeing Louis Barry. I mean, we, we've called him the Promise Prince in our magazine a couple times now. You know, he breaks on goal and slot, slots one in the back than that it was almost unthinkable and villa fans were immensely supportive of these young lions going into this liverpool game um and they they definitely should have as well but but it was still nice to see people tweeting things like no matter what happens support these youngsters they deserve that much all that kind of you know niceties and it was deserved and like i was out of my chair and blew my voice out whenever barry scored i have no problem saying that like i i was very very excited and just happy just to the joy of seeing him score a goal on such a stage to where the bookies weren't even taking odds on this game over here when it got closer to the game because they were just like there, there's no point like we can't even call this one but in the game itself there's many players that have the ability to, to be very good you know have a very good footballing career if the chances break for them and I can say with certainty this is one of you know again the most attention and care to want to actually know what's going on with you setup that I've seen in a very long time and obviously my, my crystal ball my personal crystal ball loves to think that a high percentage of these youngsters will be given opportunities at Aston Villa but the world's a cruel place and the fact remains some just won't and that's okay but it's nights like this one against liverpool where i'll remember valiantly how they battled even in defeat they all deserve to hold their heads up high because I, I think it was such a great moment and i agree with andy it's definitely one of the happier moments for me uh, for this season i'll remember it for a very very long time yeah what a, what what a team and uh, what what a win that they had and what a performance they did against liverpool i remember the liverpool players the liverpool senior players i'm talking about the uh, the the senior fa cup fixture back in january when we had the covid outbreak it was almost as though um, i remember mane was almost embarrassed to celebrate you know by the end the goals they were scoring um, because it was like oh this these guys have actually embarrassed us um I actually think if the full Villa team had played that day, we would have beat Liverpool as well because they were in all they were in dire straits at that point in time, and we were we were doing well. But I think that this is something that to to go to Mark's point, I think definitely this is the most interest has been 
certainly since the Moore brothers and the, the previous FA Cup, uh, Youth Cup winning team. And this, the youth investment is probably amongst the most eye-catching things that, that NSWE have done at Aston Villa um, because their investment has been incredible. And to Mark's point, there's a plan behind this. There's thinking behind this. These, they're not bringing in the best talent from all over the country and all over Europe before they, uh, with, with the uh, two uh, Dutch uh, centre-halves when you could you know, pick up players from Europe. They're not doing this for the fun of it. They're not doing it to win the FA Youth Cup, although obviously that's a means to an end. They're doing it so these players, two, three, four years down the line, coming to the Aston Villa first team, we're already seeing that with Chocomenko, we're already seeing that with Philogene Badais. Louis Barry, I'm sure, is going to be next, much to Andy's delight, because he's been ready for that for quite a while. <laughs> yes, absolutely. So this isn't, this isn't a scattergun approach here. These are serious business people enacting a step-by-step plan and we are seeing the plan work probably a lot quicker than 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 any of us thought possible now this has been a real bugbear of mine and i've i've mentioned it in a few podcasts that villa have had so many lost generations of talent from Samir Carruthers, Harry Forrester, Dan Crowley, Solomon was supposed to be the next big thing. O'Hare, we've spoken about on this podcast. Andre Green, maybe the best of the lot we've spoken about on this podcast. It's to Mitch Clark, who I think ended up at Leicester. There's been so many of these false dawns with Villa youth players. And I don't think we can blame that all on all those youth players. I think lots of that responsibility rests with the club and the poor handling of the development, particularly in O'Hare's case, um, who, who should have been sent out years before to, to get some development. And, and we killed his development, Steve Bruce, I think, um, responsible for that. But um, that's a different, different story. And I had a look at the, the players that Villa have developed that are currently playing Premier League football outside of the, the Villa team. There is Albrighton, there is Kieran Clark, and there's Gary Cahill. All of those players are in their 30s, which tells you all you need to know. For 10 long years, Grealish accepted, I'm talking about players who aren't playing for Aston Villa, which means for over 10, 15 years, we have not developed a player who's playing Premier League football, which tells you all you need to know about Aston Villa in the last 10 years. And all you need to know about Aston Villa now moving forward with this new generation and this FA Cup youth winning team. It is a new day, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> well, we certainly hope so. I mean, you know, you've 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 both you've outlined it, you know, superbly, and uh, I think I think it's, it's it's absolutely the case that we can be more positive. And look, they're not all going to make it, as Mark says. You know, they're not all going to come through and, and and get into that get into our first team. But it's about how the, how you then make the most of that. You know, not only in the last. Um, 10 years or 15 years even you know can we say we've we, you know we haven't really been producing any premier league players how many how many players have we actually sold and 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 got a fee for as well you know the chelsea model in the academy is almost like it's almost like a different business you know they produce players in that academy to make money for the club um, not necessarily to always with 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 um, you know with the thought in mind of them going into the first team. You know they sell players as well. They sell players on um, for huge profit. You know that's that's the kind of model we need to be 
looking at as well. If a player isn't good enough necessarily to play for Aston Villa or he's the wrong sort of player for Aston Villa, then how can we, you know, get them out on loan, get them pre- performing for other for other teams? Those other teams then will will pay for them, will buy them on permanent deals like we did, we like or like we we want to do potentially with 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 Tammy Abraham. You know, it's it. That's that's the model that we're we're aiming you, at. And you can't do that. You, Go on. So, sorry, Andy, you're spot on with that. And and Tammy is a great. You know, Tammy is about to make Chelsea 30, 40 million pounds, which is pure profit, and they can reinvest that into the academy and doing it all over again. It's a great business model, even if they don't make it to the first team. And Villa have been so poor at that; it's unbelievable. I would also like to see us do Douglas Louise style deals where maybe someone's not quite ready at 21-22. That's fine because players develop at different times. We all know that. Some players get very good in their early 20s. Some players get very good in their late 20s. I'd love love us to see some Douglas Ruiz deals, you know, where Aston Villa, a seller player, let's say we sell them for 10 million, and we have a buyback clause, you know, two years later for, 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 for 15 or whatever, and we can bring them back in after they're ready. I love, I like that. We need to have this. Andy, go and tell them. This is what we need to do. <laughs> You're right. Write the letter, Andy. I, I agree. Write, write the letter, Andy. You're completely right. If we if we could do that, if there's even a, a shot that Aston Villa can get back to a place where they can demand that kind of thing to kind of it's like a semi loan kind of thing, I would I would just I would be over the moon because that that's that's honestly like how how big teams go about their business now. Like Douglas Louise isn't an isolated incident. Clubs do that all the time. And like you, you you see it happen all the time. Like look at what just happened with Tamori over at AC Milan. He was loaned out and they already had a fee already chalked in there. All they had to do is work out the finances and it's done. Now he's an AC Milan lawn player he had a great season everything but man if, if Villa could get to that point I'd be I'd be really really happy with stuff like that yeah well I mean obviously there's there's lots to be said and Mark if you can get a fo- get us on the on the uh, the FCG then um, then uh, we can maybe put these things forward to the <laughs> to the club um, I'm working on it I'm working on it Andy I'm working on it <laughs> but the the, the two-week layoff um, for the COVID outbreak clearly affected the rhythm of the team going into January um as there was a drop off in the, the the swashbuckling attacking performances, which we had been used to and which had been a feature of the first half of the season, Dean Smith's men um, were were able to continue to pick up some some wins. However, we beat Newcastle at home, um, Southampton away, which is a tremendous result for the defence more than anything. Um, before. Um, Completing the double in, you know, against Arsenal with a, a very impressive one nil uh, win at Villa Park. Then disaster number two struck as captain Jack G- Jack Grealish, um, the, by far the most influential player in the team. I think most people agree with that. Um, sustained what appeared to be a reoccurrence of his of his shin injury, which had kept him out for th- for three months during the the promotion season two years ago. This just added to a feeling that maybe Villa's season yeah, might ebb away. And, and whilst Dean Smith sort of tried to be coy about the situation, um, many fans kind of knew that we wouldn't be seeing Jack again for, for some time. Um, how big of a blow was this um, in our season, guys? It was an incredible blow. I think it hit. It was the death knell to our European hopes. But I also think it didn't have to be, Andy. And, and here's why. I, you know, I've not had too many criticisms of Dean Smith this season. We've all defended him on this podcast from some of the ridiculous Smith out stuff. But that doesn't mean that we don't criticise Dean Smith when we think it's fair. And I think that Dean Smith's handling of Jack Grealish's injury was 
not good. It was disappointing. I think the whole cloak and dagger routine upset the fans. And I think it also unsettled the team. We know that Grealish was injured in February and it arguably took the team until the Everton away performance in May before the Aston Villa team played well without Grealish, arguably. Now, I'm speculating here, but I think that Smith created a bit of a sideshow with the fans wondering, is Grealish going to be back this week? Is Grealish going to be back this week? And obviously, you know, the, the players are online, the players hear the chatter, and that so it's kind of like a, a subliminal thing. It's a subconscious thing. Oh, well, we can't win without Jack. We can't win without Jack. And it, as soon as you hear that enough as a footballer, you'll start to believe that. And I think it really hindered the team. I think that Smith should have drawn a line. Obviously, hindsight's always twenty twenty, But I think Smith should have drawn a line in the sand. Listen, Jack is going to be out of the foreseeable future. We don't know the extent of the injury, but we're looking into it. And, um, and, and that, I think, would have helped the team get their heads around it quicker because I think lots of them were sulking and you could physically see them in the pitch for the first few games after, after Jack went away. They're looking for Jack. They're looking for Jack. And I think if, if Smith had been a bit firmer in that rather than being a bit mealy-mouthed, then, well, maybe, maybe we'll be back, back next week. I think that would have helped the team and it certainly would have helped the fan base. So um, not many critiques for Dean Smith from me, but his handling of the Grealish injury is is definitely somewhat one where I think he, he got that wrong for me. Yeah, I'm right there with you. And I, I think he actually had to run up to the library and dust off what I like to call the Jack Grealish protection handbook. <laughs> um, maybe having to tell a fib or two about what was going on with the Villa captain, because we, we should be used to this by now. It's happened under previous managers as well. And, and the biggest problem with Jack at, at, at Aston Villa is his injury record. And it's not even a hot take at this point. It is what it is. He's a gifted player. We know how gifted he is. We, we love watching him. We're, we're excited when he comes back. We're excited when he does his thing. But he does make players around him better. And he does have the fire in his gut to lead this team in the right direction it's always going to be a cardiac inducing moment when your best player goes down with some kind of an injury but there has to be that that super level of transparency from dean smith i think he got this completely wrong i think craig's right it was almost like the players were expecting him to come back i even started to notice that for as good as a season he's had and we'll talk about that very very soon here but with matt target he was starting to still look for those overlaps and uh, it was almost like he was just had that chemistry with jack Grealish that he believed that no matter who was in front of him on the left-hand side, they were going to be able to do the things and have the kind of chemistry and communication that he does with Jack. And it didn't happen. And it took a couple of weeks to get that back. You know, it took a couple of weeks for Matt, to, you know, to actually sit there and, you know, it, at least to me, it was obvious on the pitch to where he wasn't running forward as much. He was giving better support to his winger because he's used to having someone so prolific in front of him. Now there, there's, a, there's a number of games where the, the performance wasn't great. And it was, it was absolutely sobbing for, for a more creative spark in the way that only a player like Jack Grealish knows how to produce. But, it, it, it starts. It starts to kind of hurt when you look back on it and think like, "Oh, what what could have we have done? The points we that we dropped, Grealish would have been able to change that game, or at least a chance at that." But I mean, for me, if Grealish wants the heights of football at his boyhood club, he needs to be doing whatever he can to be healthy. We also need to be, you know, told honestly how long he's actually going to be out because I I do think it affected the players. I think Craig has a really really good point, Andy. Yeah, and I th- I, I would agree wholeheartedly with that. And what kind of makes it worse is that when when he did kind of make a half comeback, he 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 came back to training. Um, it was kind of made out then that well, we knew it would be about now. We knew that the doctors said it would be about now that he came back, and 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 you sort of think, but that's not what you were saying. You were saying you were assessing him on a game by game basis, and he might be back. And can we get him back into training? When will he be pain free? When will he be on the grass? All these kind of throwaway comments, and you sort of think, well. 
you've you've essentially look. It's not Dean Smith's job necessarily to to keep the fans happy and you know be honest with the fans. You know that's not what he's there for. He's there to create some sort of competitive advantage. But there was certainly no competitive advantage to be had during that time while while Jack Grealish was out. The other teams knew he was out, um, and um, and that was it. Really, it was it was there was no and like you say all it did was perhaps um you know confuse the confuse the team confuse the squad um and 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 annoy the fans and and um it did create unfortunately a point in the season where where i think things got a bit a bit negative around the club where, which you know we're not really used to too much no um, not under certainly Smith. Not this season no, but, no, absolutely. But that's the other thing that I think he got wrong. So the the second criticism, hold on to your hats here. I'm going on a Smith crit. I'm not. I'm not really. But this is the <laughs> second criticism. Um, I'm still Smith in. I still love him. He's done great. But the second criticism here was, and we said this on the podcast. I said it again and again. I don't know why Smith just persisted with that system built for Jack Grealish without Jack Grealish there. To me, it didn't make sense. And um, we suffered for that, that 4-3-3 or the 4-2-3-1. I think we saw Villa tear into weaker opposition like uh, Fulham and, and, and West Brom when they were chasing the game and brought two up top. And imagine if we'd seen that more and some, some you know, against the Sheffield Uniteds and some of the other teams that just couldn't cope when we had big Keenan and, um, you know, Ali buzzing around, you know, beside him. I think we would, I think that's the second criticism of Smith. I think his insistence on playing a system built for Jack Grealish without Jack Grealish also cost us some points. But I think, um, I think, I think that that was, was clear to see. And I think that hopefully the personnel changing, you know, the, the, the transfers we're bringing in the summer will mean that we can continue to play the same system and be, we'll have the players to cover Jack if Jack is out. Because as Mark says, Jack has a terrible injury record. Let's just call it what it is. Yeah, definitely. And um, I mean, during that time, I suppose it's worth mentioning now that the, the feature of um, this season was the absolutely astonishing improvement in the defence um, the signings of um, the player that turned out to be fans player of the year, Emmy Martinez in goal, um, and Matty Cash contributed hugely to this. Whilst left-back Matt Target, who was um, largely considered to be Villa's most improved player this season, and he, he actually won players player of the year, which was announced before the Chelsea game as well. And there was also, of course, the flourishing central defensive partnership of, of, of Esri Konza and Tyron Mings. He stood in superbly as as, as, as captain in, in Jack's absence. And we'll, we'll come on to Mings in more detail in a bit. Um, it is clear that the, that, that the back five helped massively in the season's efforts, particularly in the early stages of Jack's injury when, you know, we were picking up um, points um you know, and 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 even though we we weren't really scoring goals, um, and to equal the 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 club's um, clean sheet record of fifteen really does just speak for itself. Yeah, that clean sheet record that's that's a massive step forward for for the defensive spine at Villa. I don't I don't think you can really say too too much you know past that. I, I do think that it's progress and we're seeing it. Um, it wasn't so long ago that we were putting Mila Yedinak in, at center back. You know oh, what I mean? That wasn't too God. too long too too long ago under Steve Bruce. You know what I mean? So <laughs> why do you have to say that? 
but but you start but seriously you start thinking it back from then until now it's literally like a celestial galaxies away from each other you know Mings and Kanza look they look comfortable as they can be in the center and even at the end of this season like when when Kanza had the fill in for Maddie Cash he picked up he you know reaggravated his hamstring injury and, and Courtney Horse stepped in it just worked and it sounds so simple but it just worked I mean yeah we'll get on the target in more detail in a bit but you can't say anything upsetting about about his game through the campaign he absolutely he did what he had to do and we we've heard him say it since the end of the season that he had that he had to, he even said I had to take a look in the mirror and knew what I had to do I had to get fitter I had to get a little bit more lean I had to get a little bit more mean I had to understand what my role actually was and you, you, same thing with Matty Cash he had a really good freshman year in the Premier League and I, he, again he, he made me eat my words and I you know they, they tasted great to be honest after I seen him <laughs> what, what he did and I, ex- I expect him to get better and make better decisions as the season rolls on because he had a couple decisions and you know but again first season in the Premier League coming from a club like Forest you know there's a lot there's a lot of pressure there he changed his position again but you know, there's moments of pain felt by us all. Sometimes it seemed like they were all over the place, and the trauma of last season's defensive woes seemed to start creeping back into their brains a little bit. But with the clean sheet record specifically, the defense is growing together. Emmy Martinez, I love watching Emmy do his thing. He's he he just seems like he's switched on all the time. I don't worry about him having you know too too bad of a blunder. Yeah, there there were some goals that I do believe he could have saved, but it's the goalkeeping position. That's that's just the way it goes. But I think that Aston Villa are definitely in good stead. Haven't haven't ever me back there i'm really happy about this defense going forward i it's one of the things that you know with with uh elmo and and, uh taylor leaving and we'll talk about this on the next episode we're going to go through a whole transfer thing but with those two leaving i think you literally just need depth and we might not even need that much to be honest yeah i think you're absolutely right i think um it's it's we're sprinkling in gold dust now um i think to the team to to bring it to the next level is what we need and um yeah, I mean the record of fifteen clean sheets does speak speak for itself. Um, the to match the the record of the Martin O'Neill team, and again that Martin O'Neill team was a Champions League pushing an outfit that was pushing for Champions League football. A bit like the comparison I made between Julian Joachim's goals and Ollie Watkins' goals. Context is important. This was a team that survived by one point, added um, uh, two players to the back line in Martinez and Cash and went from one of the worst defences in the league to one of the best defences in the league. And I, I like what you say there, Mark, about mindset. Target, his improvement was down to Matt Target. The, the coaches can do so much, but you said Target did it in the interview. He looked in the mirror and was like, that's not good enough. I need to get better. You can't teach that. Comfort zones are the enemy of life. They're the enemy of relationships. They're the enemy of uh, progression. They're the enemy of ambition. And they're also the enemy of top-level athletes. If you want to be a top-level athlete, you have to be pushing every day. You have to be doing your diet. You have to be training. You can't have no days off. You have to be, you have to live like a monk and train like an Olympian to be at the very, very top of the tree in football. And it's about mentality and it's about attitude. And I think our defense has that attitude. I talked about it earlier in the season. It's the eye of the tiger. It's that desire and demand that they must keep the ball out of the net and you can't teach it. It is a instinctive thing and the team has it. And I think, you know, we, we saw in the last two games against better opposition with Spurs and Chelsea, Cons are switching to right back. 
added a lot more solidity with the horse coming in. So that could be something we look at next season. I don't know which smart person on the uh, podcast recommended <laughs> that before it happened, but I'm sure it was one of us. And um, But we have options is what I'm saying. So for me, in terms of transfer business, we need competition for, tar- for uh, Target. I think right back is fine. Um, Engels may move away, but I think you leave that unit alone. You leave that back five alone. Yeah, occasionally maybe you switch Konza to right back and bring in Hawes if, if, if we're going to be under the, under the gun. Um, but that unit has proven itself and that unit is going to be the foundation upon which we can build, hopefully, our European challenge next season. Yeah, and whilst we're obviously discussing the defence, we'll talk about our, another award that we've we've given to our to our standing captain, um, Tyro Mings of... Uh, outstanding achievement really um and we've given it to this to tyrone um this is the player who who we feel has gone over and above what would normally be expected of a a player for aston villa um and affected the club and all the community in a in a in a unique way tyrone mings has has led the way in the fight against racism um in football and 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 obviously um in 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 the wider world and and of course He's also led the way in 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 the fight against any type of abuse or discrimination, uh, whether it be online or or, or whatever. Um, this has been both as part of a, a high the high profile campaigns, you know, such as obviously Black Lives Matter and No Room for Racism, um, and the the social media boycott that um, that, that that football took part in um, during the season. Um, and he's had his obviously added his voice to these causes, and he speaks obviously speaks always speaks incredibly eloquently and full of um, passion um, for for these topics. Um, but also closer to home, speaking out in defence of his teammates who find themselves at the sharp end of of online hate. Most notably, of course, Anwar Al Ghazi, who who he 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 defended um, online. Um, when 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 El Ghazi had come back in, into the side and was and was doing well, um, guys, a few words for 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 Tyro Mings. We talked about um, earlier El Ghazi being part of the fabric um, of Aston Villa. Uh, Tyro Mings talk about a player who's become part of the fabric of Aston Villa. Um, he came in uh, from Bournemouth on loan, uh, along with Courtney Horse, and, and helped revolutionise that our leaky championship, championship defence and helped us win 10 games in a row and, and, and take us to the promised land in the Premier League. Um, Tyrone Mings is a man we know has lived in a homeless shelter. He's talked rather candidly and openly about his own uh, battles with mental health. Um, he's encountered career-threatening injuries. You know, he was bombed out at Bournemouth, basically, as I mentioned a second ago, and sent to us. He's also battled online racism and, and prejudice. And, you know, he's even worked as a mortgage broker. You know, and this is all from a guy in his 20s. He has such a rich a rich life experience. He has a life experience, which is probably a lot closer to some of the fans than kids who get picked up at 7 and 8 and there are in, um, you know, high-level academies. You know, he's really a man of the people for me. And I think that we've discussed here on the Gather Around the Lamp uh, podcast that I think some of the stick that Mings has gotten from Villa fans for his footballing ability hasn't necessarily been about his footballing ability. It's my opinion, and I can't prove this. That's why it's an opinion. It's a talk show. (laughs) We give our opinions. 
in my opinion, I think that there are people in our fan base who do not enjoy the fact that we have an outspoken player. I mean, the, the, you know, there is a, a, an attitude um, and I've heard it from fans. I've had conversations with people. No, just shut up and play. We don't want to hear about that. This is just football. Leave politics out of it. Well, politics is is life. If you send your kid to a school, if you have interactions with the police, if you use the NHS, if you use, um, you know, a public road, if you use uh, a, a public uh, transportation, politics is everywhere. And Tyrone Mings, as a UK taxpayer, a UK resident, I think he's entitled to have opinions on things that affect him and things that affect wider society. Um, you don't have to agree with his opinions, but I think that we as a fan base have to respect he has a platform and he has uh, things that he wants to talk about and things that he wants to share. So again, it's not about agreeing. We all have different opinions and different ideas, different political leanings, whatever it is, different religious beliefs, all that is fine. But we don't need to abuse our own players, especially players and men as as mountainous in every sense of the word as Tyrone Mings. Um, you know, if we don't agree with them, we can just respect them, accept that he is our captain, in, especially in the absence of Jack Grealish, and that he has had one hell of a journey and he's one hell of a man in my estimation. Yeah, he, he might not be everybody's cup of tea as a defender, but he's definitely my cup of coffee as a person. Um, I, I admire and respect Mings for what he's done off the pitch just as much as I appreciate the way as his plays on it. It takes a special kind of athlete to put your head above that precipice when it comes to social issues, especially like mental health, racism. It, that, that was less than a span of a calendar year. He was attacking a lot, attacking a lot of different issues very, very publicly. And I, he just isn't afraid to speak up and speak out on issues that are close to him and mean a lot to him. And I've done a lot. And I'm guys, I mean a lot of research and writing on Tyra Mings after, after the last few seasons, I had one article. It, it took me almost a full week and a half to write. That was in the last edition of our physical magazine. But the more I research and the more quotes I find and the more people I talk to that actually know Tyra personally, it's his upbringing and the challenges that he's endured. I just don't see how you can't love the guy, even if you don't agree with him. But even more so, like this, this is actually a tangible and respected role model for younger people, not just footballers, but young people in general. When Ming stood up for El Ghazi after the abuse, it, it's just El Ghazi had to abandon his social media channels, and and Ming stood up for him, and it was a beautiful moment in a rather ugly and dark situation. But you need Tyra Mings at your football club. You need players like that. Can you think of a more determined person to have at your back during a time like that than Tyra and Mings? You know, we talk about his willingness to talk about these issues, the laughs, the smiles, his production on the pitch. And I think football supporters sometimes get really wrapped up in playing statistics only like that's the only thing that matters. But there isn't a metric or a statistic in the world that accounts for having heart and having a good soul. And I think Aston, or I think Aston Villa is very fortunate to have a player like Tyra Mings because if you could measure heart in any sort of way, I, I really do think that Tyra Mings would be at the top of that for the Premier League. I really, really think that. Yeah, I mean, I can't can't really add to that. I think you've, you've both summed it up absolutely beautifully why, why we appreciate... Tyrone Mings so much um, and just the fact that he's he's going to the Euros with England after everything he's reached the top in many ways he's 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 an absolute shining light at, at Aston Villa Football Club um, and I you know I'd be absolutely devastated it feels when you know whenever anyone suggests that Tyrone Mings needs to be dropped and replaced I just think with who you know who are you <laughs> Who are you replacing Tyrone Mings with in the team and the club, you know, and everything that he stands for? Um, 
I just love the fact that he's 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 at our club. You know, it was a it was a relatively it was a it was an exciting sort of loan deal in a way. Um, but it was when he signed at first, but it wasn't. I wasn't expecting to end up with a player that was so important to everything that this club stands for, and he certainly is. Um, and I've said before as well, you know, on the pitch, obviously there's the the leadership qualities, you know, and. I honestly believe that the way he plays, he plays on the edge. He's 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 kind of a an attacking defender, if you like. Um, and I just think he makes the job easier for players like Matt Target on the on the on the on the outside of him, and 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 um, Esri Konzor on the other side of him to to do their jobs. When you've got a leader like that um, pulling everything together, um, and of course Martinez behind. It 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 it's gonna work. It's 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 just a matter of time, and it's taken some time for everything to gel. But it really has gelled this season. And Mings put his puts his body on the line more than anyone in that team. And and um, I mean, I just can't speak highly enough of him. I just think he's an absolute an absolute diamond. Um, and you know, he will kick back. You know, and if fans do don't like his politics he will kick back and I think he's one of a, a number of players now modern day players who who will be like this he's not the only one um in the Premier League and I think fans are gonna have to get used to 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 players you know speaking about their politics and and and, and being um leaders um for big causes in their in their communities and and I'm I'm here for it absolutely 100 percent I was gonna. I was, <laughs> the only thing I was gonna add to that, it, it's a little different for me being over here because he talks. He, he does talk about a lot of local stuff sometimes that maybe I'm not privy to. Obviously, you know, living so far away. But like you were just saying, like okay, if if you were to want Tyro Mings gone, and Andy, like you asked the question, who do you bring in? Those aren't just shoes you're filling. Those are like fishing, you know, sea ship type <laughs> of of shoes you have to fill because you're not only replacing the the player and whatever a player can bring on a football pitch, but then you also have to replace the person. And for me, that that's where Tyra Mings is one of those a little bit unique cases where it's not just replacing hardline statistics on a football pitch and metrics and data and all that. You also have to replace what he brings as far as inclusion and everything. I mean, we've, we've all seen it over the past year. I just, I think that would be one hell of a person you have to replace, not only just the player. And, and also just to defend him as a player, just taking all the other stuff about it. And you, you both are quite right. He is, he is probably the biggest character in the dressing room he, he is the leader um, Jack Grealish is kind of the mercurial Pied Piper if you like that people follow because he's got such he's got that captivating smile but uh, Mings is the dad of the group I think it's probably fair to say from the outside looking in but forget all that for a minute let's just talk about the football for, for a second Tyrone Mings has gone from Chippenham Town and he is about to play for England England in the European Championships. And of the three players that we had in the squad, we were most sure that Mings was going to be in. We had no yeah, doubts absolutely. about Mings. We were yeah. worried about Watkins and Watkins hasn't made it. We were concerned about Grealish, not because of his quality, but because of his injury issues. None of us were worried about Tyrone Mings. And there's a reason for that. He is the best left-sided England uh, English centre-half for me, certainly left best left-footed one. And, uh, and he's on that plane on, on merit because he is a excellent Premier League defender. Is he perfect? No, but guess what? No other players are either. So up Tyrone Mings and um, 
uh, <laughs> of Tyrone Mings. <laughs> well done to Tyrone Mings. That, that's a different thing. Uh, well done to Tyrone Mings. And um, I'm delighted to have him as vice vice captain, captain, whatever, of Aston Villa Football Club as a player and as a person. Yeah, definitely. And um, yeah, we're looking forward to watching him again next season. Um, March saw uh, another huge boost for the club as uh, record signing Ollie Watkins received his first England call-up um, before notching on his debut against San Marino. It's a great achievement for Watkins alongside his his 14 Premier League goals this season um, to cap an exceptional first season in the top flight. Now, obviously, he's not been selected for the for the initial for the the, 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 the squad that's going to the Euros. Um, but Watkins won our performance of the season, as we discussed earlier. Um, but how would you how would you assess his season and and the value so far that we're getting for the thirty three million pound fee? I think the thirty three million pound fee raised my eyebrows. I think it it raised many others as well. I mean, you're looking at a championship player um, from Brentford with Exeter and I think Western Supermare on his CV. Um, that's not necessarily the, the pedigree or the resume or the CV, whatever word you want to use, of a player you're expecting to spend £33 million on. But I think the, the quickest answer and the best answer I can give you is, if someone were to try and buy him now, even in the depressed COVID market, what would he cost? And I would say he would be a £50 million striker. I think he's increased his value that much. He's now a full England international, a goal-scoring England international. He can play anywhere across the front three. He's robust and seemingly impervious to injury, touch wood. And, <laughs> um, and, and a few good sh- few years short of his prime years. We've, we've spoken already about Watkins. He's 25, but he's a young 25. Uh, this is only his second full season as a striker, first season for Aston Villa, first season in the Premier League. So you know he's only going one way. He's only going to get better. And if he can improve his finishing, you know, I talked about last week, Aston Villa needing a killer. If he can become a killer in the box in the way that an Ings is or a Defoe is, just where you know one chance, bang, goal, um, which he's not there quite yet for me. If he can be that, we won't be talking about a £50 million striker. We'll be talking about an 80 or £90 million striker. Such is the value of the other work that he brings to the team. Yeah, and that that's all I'm looking for is just a little bit better finishing. And I don't even think that he was like terrible at finishing. I just think there were some chances that he had that went just wide or just over the bar. But he's greedy, but he he's like a, a pleasant type of greedy player. He, like sometimes like you see him after a match, he might even like pick up a brace and he's like, "Oh yeah, but I could have had three more." And like, man, this guy's just so damn determined. It's like it's like that's what I mean by like pleasantly greedy. It's like if you would if you would take a child into an ice cream shop and they have all these choices, well, what flavor do you want? All of them? <laughs> he wants all the goals. He wants all the accolades. He wants to do it, and he has the positive attitude. He's always smiling. I, I, I think it's for for thirty three million. We're, we're definitely getting exactly what we needed, and I do think he's going to get better. The, again, my only thing was that I wanted him to finish a little bit more. And again, this is funny. Like I actually looked back on like some of the things that I said, like as the season started, like when we signed Ollie Watkins, when we signed Matty Target. Like I was one of those fools looking back on it that wanted Rian Brewster. 
I thought Rian Brewster was going to be the kind of striker the Villa needed. Well, obviously, Marky didn't know what the hell he was talking about. <laughs> I'm really glad. That, <laughs> I'm, re- I'm really glad we got Watkins. I wasn't upset when we got him. I knew what he brought. You know, I, you know, I watched championship football a lot that season going into that transfer window. And he's going to get better. And again, like Craig, he's multifaceted as well. It's not just one way. He can hold up the ball. You know, he, he does have a, a certain presence when he, he's on the pitch. And again, I just think Gareth, I think he's doing himself a disservice not having a a third out and out striker that knows how to back up the you know the defensive line a little bit. I think that they're going to be missing that, but I do think his shot will come. I think he's going to have to be a little patient. But you know, Ollie Watkins, I, I said it on Twitter. He, he doesn't want a bite of the apple. He wants the whole damn bushel. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. I, I think the, the 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 thing with with Watkins is that um, I think when he came in, people almost assumed that he would be there would be another striker. I think we were linked with Edward as well from Celtic and the, obviously Wilson Tammy as well. Ed- uh, yeah, Callum Wilson, Callum Wilson. And, and Tammy Abraham, obviously, you know, and I think people assume that he'd be the second striker behind, you know, playing in the, one of the wide areas or or even not not starting. Um, but no, he Dean Smith knows what he brings, and Dean Smith had had every intention of him leading the line for the whole season at, at Aston Villa, and um, you know he's done it incredibly well, and I think the biggest compliment I can give him is that I've wanted Tammy Abraham to sign for Villa you know obviously ever since he he was at the club before um absolutely desperate I'd probably you know if it was me writing the check it'd I'd 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 almost put a blank check um but I'm looking at it now thinking actually you know do we do we need someone like Tammy Abraham how do how does Tammy Abraham bring anything better to to the to the to the team you 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 know, you've still got a striker there that that is, you know, not not always on point with his finishing. Um, and I just think if we went into the season next season with with Ollie Watkins leading the line again, I'd be more than happy and feel more than confident that he will improve again next season. I, I genuinely think I think he's got better this season um, as the season's gone on, and I think he will continue to improve. Not being in the Euro squad will be a setback, but. You know, he can go away, have a really good summer, have a really good rest and come back firing on all cylinders. In I saw before um, we jumped on the pod, actually, in terms of the Euros, Andy, that um, uh, Watkins was given the option to go home, Jesse Lingard as well and James Ward-Prowse, and they all decided they're going to stay. So they, they they might actually be, be appearing. And Watkins is like a cockroach. And I mean that in a, a, the most complimentary, <laughs> like he doesn't go away. So you wouldn't be, and he's so robust, so you wouldn't be surprised to see, you know, someone pull up with an injury maybe towards the end of next week or or this time next week before Gareth has to finalise the squad. Who knows if Henderson can be ready? Who knows if Maguire can be ready? And if if a spot opens up you wouldn't be surprised to see Ollie Watkins still sneak his, sneak his way in there. And, um, and, and, and you'd love to see it. I mean, you think about it, the, the searing heat, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to lay the, lay the, let me lay, let me lay the, here comes, here comes the violins. Let guys. me lay it on you. All right. It's a, it's a hot afternoon, a sweltering evening. It's, it's about 28 degrees and there's a sweaty semi-final. The defenders the opposition are tiring it's been a long hard season they've had European commitments they've had league commitments and they are reaching the end of their physical and emotional uh, uh, rope and on comes a fresh-faced Ollie Watkins he's charging them and he's hunting them and he forces errors we see that for Aston Villa he forces an error 
and Kane gets a tap in to take England through to the to the final of the, of the European Championships. You could see that happening, right? That's not that far fetched. Uh, you can see you can see that you happening. Can, no, you're right. Yeah, you're right, Greg. Yeah, and I th- I, and I think this is where we have a real a real talent. His talent is that, isn't it? He 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 is um, he is not indestructible. I won't say that because then he'll get injured next week. So I'm going to touch wood and say he's 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 incredibly robust and. Um, hard-working and he just gets his head down. And one of the reasons I thought he might be in the squad is because I, I can see him being the type of character that you could leave out for all the games, but he'd still turn up, he'd still be ready. Um, and that's 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 what I can say about him. I, I, I just think he's been he's been excellent. He, for me, he deserves it, but I'm, I'm biased because um, I'm a Villa fan, but for me, he, did, he deserves his place in, in the Euro squad. So we'll see. We'll see if, if anything occurs. Um, over the next week, he might, like you say, sneak his way in there. Um, but just moving on, you know, we must um, discuss the player who who we voted as our under a gaslit lamp player of the season, um, and that man is Matt Target. Um, different to the Emmy Martinez um, of the of the, the the main poll for the club, um, but. Uh, Obviously, clearly several options: Martinez, as we said, Conza, Grealish, Mings. But explain why the award had to go to Target this season. So I, I think the award had to go to Target for me, and he definitely got my vote when we all voted on it. I, I think it's just the maturation process, how he's actually getting better. Like I said, he, he said after the Chelsea game, he had to look in the mirror and you know figure out exactly you know how do I get better, how how, how am I able to help this defensive unit get better in the grand scheme of things after su- such an underwhelming season. You know, it was our first season back; it wasn't going to be anything fantastic. Too many people in the doors, things like that. But you know, for this season that we just had, Matt Target just came on leaps and bounds, and even. Even in the absence of Jack Grealish, like I said earlier, that they have a certain chemistry on that left-hand side of the pitch, and it can't be ignored. It can't. It's not just something. Oh, they're just playing football. They're just familiar with each other. No, it, go, it goes far beyond that for me. I, I think that it's almost like an unsaid thing to where Target knows when to stay back, when to overlap, when to even you know ha, you know lap into the um into the middle of the pitch while Jack tries to force it outside a little bit. Now again, we don't know if, if Jack Grealish is going to play off the left hand side next season, but regardless of how it goes down, Matt Target is now a better player because of that. Um, so I, I just think he had a fantastic season. He's very dependable. Um, he's he has had some injury problems in the past, nothing too too serious. But he even said in that interview again at Chelsea that there was some things that he was dealing with. He said he was dealing with with an ankle injury a little bit. You know that was something we had no idea, and you couldn't tell from his play on the pitch again it's the measure of the man uh it's the measure how how much he wants to succeed with this football club especially after you know how he was treated coming from southampton to where he had a pretty pretty underwhelming kind of older world fullback in front of him that he was behind for a couple of seasons it just seemed like they had no interest in bringing him into the fold so now i think that matt target found his home and i think he's trying to pay back the supporters and the club back as much as he can by trying to constantly individually get better he's talking with his teammates things like that I just think that he brings a lot of solidity to this squad, and I, I think that the um, the process of him getting better from last season to this current one, I, I don't think it can be ignored anymore. I, I think that that's Aston Villa's left back for for quite a long time, at least for me. 
Absolutely. And I think we talked earlier about, um, you know, the, the, his interview and, and him looking at the mirror and we talked about comfort zone. And um, that's what Matt Target has done. You know, he was, I wouldn't say his career was floundering, but it wasn't, it wasn't a great career. He was having loans to the championship, as Mark correctly says. He was understudied to, to Bertrand at uh, Southampton. Nothing wrong with Ryan Bertrand, solid player, decent player. Um, but um, he wasn't pushing on. And obviously he had technical ability, but he wasn't physically at the level that he needed to be. I think um, Dean Smith came out and said last season when Matt Target joined up for pre-season training after joining Villa, Matt Target was not in the condition he needed to be in. So he went into the season, uh, the opening games of the season last year uh, with Neil Taylor in, in place for the first few games. And we also saw last year with um, Target, you know, anytime he came up against a tricky winger, you know, a St. Maximum or a Dharma, it became like a running joke, didn't it? That he he feigned injury and went off after 60 minutes because he couldn't cope. His head was exploding. You know, he, he went uh, scarlet red color and he, he looked like he's gassed out, basically. He was finished. And um, and he recognised that. He recognised that Aston Villa, Aston Villa's moving upwards with or without me, Matt Target. So I can either jump on the train or I can get left behind. Um, and I think that he absolutely is now not only jumped on the train, he's driving the train. He's pushed himself to be a real top level left back, probably only behind Chilwell and Shaw in English left backs at this point in time. I think he's slightly better than Cresswell for my money. And um, and he can continue building on that and improving on that. And so now, whereas last season, lots of us were calling for a new left back rather than a new right back, as we discussed earlier with, with, with Cash coming in. No one's calling for a new left back this season. We're looking, we're all thinking about a youth prospect or, a, you know, a, one of Langer's um, continental bargains who's going to come in and support Target because he solidified his, 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 his name on a team sheet. I hope he takes that number three shirt from uh, Neil Taylor and, um, and I hope that he gets the England recognition that he deserves next season uh, when Luke Shaw's been, had one too many kebabs over the summer. <laughs> yeah, I think that's uh, that's likely. I mean, Luke Shaw, Luke Shaw, obviously with his his injury prone as well. I think, uh, yeah, and I'd, I'd add to I'd add to this that I think all through the season, first of all, you know, as I've said before, I did write um, a, an article for Under a Grasset Lamp saying that I I thought he would be the next player to be replaced um, in January um, last season, and uh, and. Um, he he really sort of shoved that down my throat because uh, he's he's actually improved throughout the season and and there were shoots of this happening quite early on and and he's just gone onto another level. His attack there was never a problem with his his attacking play. He was he would always get forward. He would always overlap and he was very dangerous um, with his crossing. It was his defensive. Um, performances, his bottle, I think, and and things like that, and that's all improved now. There's no issue with him whatsoever. And in a season where there has been inconsistency and players have dipped in and out of form, for me, target at least a seven out of ten every week, right through that bad spell when uh, you know after the COVID outbreak and and when Jack was out, seven out of ten at least every week from that target, and and I think. For me, that's why he's 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 my player of the year. That and of course the the the, the massive improvement and the fact that he's completely surprised me. So, um, more than happy to eat, eat another bit of humble pie. Um, who was it last week? I was eating humble pie for. There was somebody else. El Ghazi. El Ghazi. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, you know, yeah. So 
you know, keep it coming, guys. I'm going to keep writing dodgy articles about players <laughs> and see if I can uh, get in their heads and make them improve. Um, I'm sure they don't read my articles. I'm just saying that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but our final award um, tonight. I hope you're hope you're still with us um, and sticking with us. Uh, our final award tonight is for our MVP. Um, this is, of course, for the player who we feel makes Aston Villa, um, the team, the squad and the club what it is right now, the poster boy of the club and the man who makes everything that Aston Villa are trying to trying to achieve seem all the more possible. Um, any guesses? No. <laughs> it is, of course, our captain and talisman, the best footballer, um, that many of us have ever seen pull on a claret and blue jersey, uh, Mr. Jack Grealish. Where to start with Jack Grealish? Um, I'm going to try and I'm going to try and come at it from a different. From a, I mean, I, I I almost I'm lost for words. Like this is an example of a player who I think who is developed. We talked earlier about the lost generation of players and how Villa only have 30 year olds that they've developed in their, in their academy um, in the Premier League currently, apart from Jack Grealish, who's in his mid-20s. Jack Grealish defied the odds. Jack Grealish was not necessarily handled properly. Uh, some of that is down to Jack Grealish's own personal choices and who he chose to surround himself with at a younger age. But also some of that's down to the club for not having the right mentorship or the right guidance around him. I mean, you know, when you're a young lad coming through and you've got Shisha Pipe Gabby as your role model, probably that's not necessarily going to set you up for a lifetime of professionalism and dedication. That's it might sound harsh. That's just the reality of the situation. Gabby, by that point, when Grealish is coming through, was not taking care of himself for whatever reason. Um, we can speculate as to why. But Grealish was very nearly lost. You know, there's there's a famous story of old Brucey trying to shove him out the door uh, to Middlesbrough in exchange for, for Jordan Rhodes. Obviously, we've seen the pictures of, of Grealish and, and, and on, in compromising positions, you know, as a younger man. So I just want to thank him, Jack Grealish, as a Villa fan for waking up and smelling the coffee. Whatever it took, whether it was the influence of John Terry, whether it's Dean Smith, whether it was someone in his family, whether it was surrounding, changing the people he surrounded himself with, uh, whether he found religion. I don't know. Whatever it is, Jack, that um, made you fulfill your potential or start to fulfill your potential I, I want to thank you for finding it because uh, you are the one of the most beautiful footballers we have ever seen at Aston Villa and as an Aston Villa fan you're in rarefied air for me with Dwight York uh, Paul McGrath uh, Ashley Young and uh, Paul Merson um, you, you, you probably are already in my my top four five six Villa players I've ever seen and the scary thing is I think that you did miss some years of development for whatever reason. I think that Jack Grealish can still improve. But now Jack Grealish has held up his end of the bargain. He's doing his work. He's put, put his life back on track. He's doing the nutrition. He's doing the extra leg work, particularly on his calves, as you can see. He's doing all the things he needs to do. Now it's Aston Villa's turn. It is the owners. It's Dean Smith's turn. We need to create a team that Jack Grealish deserves to play in. And that means signing the lights of Buendia, whether that means signing the lights of Coutinho, whether that means signing the lights of Tammy Abraham, whoever it is, it's on us now. We have to provide Jack with the team that he needs to get to where he needs to go. And if we don't do it in the next year, 
not only sh not only will he leave, he should leave, and I will support him leaving if we don't back his changes with our changes. I agree. The clock's ticking, Jack. You know, and he's done he's done everything he he could, but it, I do feel that this summer, and maybe even into the January period. Um, they're going to have to start solidifying this squad that he's going to be able to look at, even on paper, and go, "Yeah, I can do it with this." You know, he, we we know it. We we know all about him. We know he's he's the boyhood Villa fan. We know what happened. And Craig brought up a good point that he, you know, none of us really know what happened that kind of changed his attitude a little bit towards his profession. For me, I think it was that freak uh, kidney laceration when he yeah. was out in the championship. I think that's what did it because it was it, was, it wasn't just football threatening; it was life threatening. And he he spoke about how life threatening it actually was, and I think it kind of something kind of clicked in the circuitry of his his big brummy brain that said um, it can go at, at a snap of a finger. It can be it can be it can all be gone. So are you are you going to keep dicking around with the wrong crowd? Are you going to you know pull your socks up and 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 do what you got to do? Start taking care of yourself a little bit. Start taking care of this community that loves you so much. And I think that's exactly what happened. Um, you know, as far as being you know. The best footballer I ever pull on a, a claret and blue shirt. I, for me, he is. Um, again, like I wasn't around during the Merson eras or anything like that. So for me, I'm, I'm a little bit different. But he's my favorite football player. He, he probably will be my favorite football player until I die. Um, in terms of what what may happen in the future. But Jack Grealish just he's he's a special special talent, and uh, it's it's going to be a sad day if and when he leaves. But again. You know, he, he's doing what he has to do. And now, just like Craig said, the owners got to start doing what they have to do to keep him around and, you know, make make damn sure that, that you're putting a product and you're putting players around him that not only he can be proud of, but he can grow with, flourish and, and have glory with. Because let's face it, man, Villa, this is, this is a very, very, I don't want to say delicate time for Aston Villa. I just want to say that it's an important time. And I think the owners know that just as well as the coaches do, just as much as the players do. But it's this summer is really going to mean a lot to Jack one way or the other. And, you know, we, we could be seeing the last season with Jack or we could just be seeing the beginning of us, you know, being consistently back in European places. I'm hoping for the latter, Andy. I know you are too. Yeah, and I think you've made these these points, guys, really, really well. And it, it, it is about this now, isn't it? It's actually about giving him the platform um, to achieve what he wants to in the in the game, and we might not be able to do it. You know, that there's it's a long way, isn't it, from from being in the championship to being in the Champions League. Um, you know, it's it's not something that's that's easily achievable. Um, but we have the we have the, the the financial backing to to do it. We have the the, the stadium, the fan base, um, and. It, it, it can be done. It's a sliding doors moment, and we'll talk about we'll talk more about about this in in coming weeks uh, podcasts, really. But it is a sliding doors moment this summer. You know, are we gonna have we got the bottle for this? You know, has the club got the bottle to go and to go and 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 spend big and and take almost to take advantage of the. I don't like using that phrase, but to take advantage of the the, the situation that the, that the the football world is in at the moment, and and really go and stamp our authority, or are we going to go? Well, that might be a bit too big for us. We'll hold back a bit, you know. We'll we'll, get, we'll stick with slow and steady, um, or are we going to gamble, or not gamble as such, but 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 go a bit bigger and and, and really kind of um, nail it, nail our colours to the mast. Um, because this this is our opportunity, like Craig says, you know, I mean, many people, a lot of people outside of Aston Villa, 
will be crying out for him to, to leave this summer. Now, if he stays this summer, there's no way you're keeping him next year if he's still sitting in ninth, 10th, 11th place. It has to be even top four, top six, certainly, next year. And that's a big that's a big shout. That's a really big shout. So, yeah, it's... um. It's a big summer, but but at the same time, we have to just obviously appreciate the type of player he is. I've never seen, I always said, um, my top three in terms of pure talent um, would be Magic Man, Merson and Dwight York um, and Jack Grealish. But I think Grealish um, is, is ahead of those two players now. And I've, I've never seen a, a player with his ability um, playing for Aston Villa. And, and I, I absolutely love it. And I can't wait I've renewed my season ticket today and I can't wait to get back and watch him uh, in the flesh in August. Um, so absolutely, the great Grealish is, is is the man, I think, that, that keeps all our hopes going and um, let's hope he's still with us and and we can, uh, we can enjoy him even more next season. And um, like I say, that's, that brings us to the end of today's podcast. It's been a long one. There was a lot to a lot to talk about. I hope you've enjoyed it. Um, thanks to Craig and Mark for for um, fantastic input into this. Um, it's uh, it's been really enjoyable looking back over the this season and uh, and taking it all in again and reliving it almost. It's been uh, it's been really enjoyable. Um, next week, I think we'll do a podcast. We'll look ahead to the summer um, and building for next season, and we'll 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 obviously bring a few issues with that, and uh, and I'm sure the guys will will bring a few names. Um, and a few stats and a few ideas um, as to as to what what we might be looking at um, this summer, and we might touch on the on the on the Euros and the Villa players that are going to be um, competing in the Euros this summer. Um, but like I say, thanks for joining us. And if you want to follow us on social media, we are on Facebook and Twitter. Give us a give us a like over there, and head over to the the website for all the latest. Um, uh, writing um, from our from our writers, I know Mark's done a couple of great pieces lately, and um, we'll be keeping that going through the summer. So head over to underagaslitlamp.com for that. Um, but we'll we'll have a have a really good week. We'll see you next week, and up the villa. <laughs>